the Facebook algorithm is pretty interesting. As the platform matures, so does the way you can use it for organic, aka free, growth of your business. But have you really considered a marketing strategy around creating a highly engaged Facebook group? Find out how women-focused job-seeking company Work180 did just that and more on this episode of Forward Thinking. Hey everyone, I'm Darren Lake, the audio content manager here at Medigy. Welcome to Forward Thinking, a podcast by Medigy. In this series, we speak with inspirational business owners, brands, and marketing experts to learn from their experiences on the front line and uncover what it takes to build a world-class business. In this episode, we have on Work180's co-CEO and founder, Valeria Ignatieva. Valeria's passion and expertise is in gender diversity, recruitment, and employee engagement. And as Mark Puncher from Employer Branding Australia says on LinkedIn, she's a thought leader without the hype and a strategist with rolled up sleeves. If you're working on diversity, talk to her. Work 180 connects women with progressive employers by pre-screening companies on amount of paid parental leave, pay equity, flexible working, and much more. Transparency around these policies is driving incredible change. On average, once every two weeks, a Work 180 endorsed employer improves a policy or benefit. Founded in 2015, Work 180 is backed by Atlassian's private investment fund, Skip Capital, and to date has raised over $5.8 million in venture capital. A few things you'll learn in this episode. The benefits of building a strong Facebook group, networking with the right people to grow your startup company, how anonymity drives Facebook engagement and facilitates valuable and shareable content, how to grow your business globally while working remotely, and much more. Let's jump right into the start of the conversation with Medigy's head of content, Brendan Hill and Valeria. Valerio, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So you're working on Work 180. But before we get to that, I wanted to find out what was your first exposure to marketing? Oh, I fell into marketing and technology at the same time. Right. So I was in my mid-20s and I had accepted a role at a tech company that was quite small at the time and they were working with SharePoint. Right. I'm sure if you're familiar with yeah. SharePoint, yeah. not a very, you know, um, <laughs> this is going to sound offensive to some people, but probably not the most kind of exciting technology mm. to market. So it was an interesting learning curve because I knew nothing about, you know, tech or really marketing, but by, you know, asking a lot of questions and kind of learning the ropes on the job, just made a, um, my first assignment was to create a massive launch at Microsoft for a really, really old version of SharePoint now in Sydney. And we had over a hundred people attend. So that was quite oh, wow. successful. So it was about, you know, inviting people, getting them to understand the pain points that SharePoint could solve. And, you know, in, in saying that it was very exciting back then, it was actually really good to work with. And we built some certain, you know, systems for marketing on SharePoint as well, which was really cool. So really shouldn't be talking it down like that. <laughs> <laughs> so you took your long career in marketing and then a few years ago, you started Work 180. So you're super passionate about this. I can tell when you talk about it, it's a fast growing company. It's doing important work. So can you tell me about the moment when you realized that this was something important that you had to start? Um, well, it was actually my co-founder's idea, Gemma. So I had my own marketing consultancy at that point in time working in tech, but I was also volunteering with females in IT and telecommunications. And I found that the work that I was doing there was actually way more rewarding than my you know, paid job. Right. And so when Gemma had the idea about creating this platform to help women connect with supportive employers, 
through my own experiences as a single parent, working technology as well, I really connected with that vision. So it wasn't long after that that, you know, I jumped on board and we created Work180 together. And can you tell us more about Work180? Sure. So we are an international platform that connects talented women with the most progressive employers. And how we do that is by pre-screening the employers. So before they come on board, we look at things like do they have flexible working discussions at interview stage? Are they open to having those discussions? Do they have paid parental leave? Do they have coaching? Do they have targets for women in leadership? Are they an equal pay ambassador? That's an Australian question. And, you know, in the UK, for example, they actually expose their pay gap. So there's about 30 different criteria questions in Australia at the moment and a bit less in the UK and also US is starting up. And that really helps women identify, you know, what the employer has on offer. It also helps drive change because through this transparency, we have employers now changing their policies at a rate of one employer changes a policy every three weeks, wow. sometimes more more than one as well. So it's driven incredible social impact whilst helping women find jobs with employers who are really, mm. really looking for, you know, that talented team member. And why is this an important area? Well, gender equality. <laughs> <laughs> I think, you know, I'm sure everyone listening understands how important that is. Mm. Something that people might not realise is that it's going to take quite a long time. Over 100 years was the last estimate to actually close that gender equality gap. And um, what we're doing is really looking at things that are important both to women and also men. So things like advocating for gender neutral parental leave policies so that men can also, you know, spend time with their newborns, not Mm. worry about financial troubles and also enable women to return to the workforce and, you know, have that participation that they should. Yeah. And can you take me back to the early days of Work 180? So you met Gemma, you had this fantastic idea you started to implement it. What were some of the challenges in the early days and how did you get people on both sides of the marketplace onto the platform? Yeah, that's a really big challenge, I think, for anyone who has that two-sided marketplace. Mm. So for us, we bootstrapped the business to about 10 staff. So in the beginning, oh. and there was no, you know, no kind of huge investment from ourselves. We had $20,000 from Gemma's father, who became our first employer as oh, well. Wow. And that just went on, you know, building the website essentially. So it didn't go very far in terms of huge marketing budgets. And we did a lot of content. Mm. Um, We also ran campaigns. So one of our first campaigns was leaders in diversity. So we reached out to different managing directors and CEOs and asked them why diversity was important to them and, you know, shared their messages and different initiatives that they were running within their companies. Because that's what you know, in all my conversations through my volunteering prior to that, I was meeting all these amazing people that would tell me that, you know, we've got this program for women in tech, we're trying to upskill young girls to get interested into tech. So Mm. bringing that together to share, and then obviously, you know, they shared it as well, was um, really good in getting the word out to both sides of the market. Um, We also ran a lot of events for both, you know, employers and candidates as well to help them with things like their personal branding, interview skills, Anything that our audience found valuable, which, you know, is hugely important, finding out what's important to them and then facilitating those connections and those opportunities to, you know, educate someone about those things. Mm. Can you tell me more about the events? Because this is an area we've had some podcast guests on. Events are often Mm -hmm. hit or miss. How did you make events successful in the early days for Work 180? Well, I was listening to one of your earlier podcasts with, I think it was Fleur. Yeah, Fleur Brown. Yeah, so she was talking about, you know, TEDx being a small event initially. So mm. same same with us. Every event starts off quite small. So I remember in the early days, 
we probably rang everyone we knew and emailed everyone we knew and, you know, had like five people rock up. So, but you've got to keep going. And we're now at the stage where we'd sell out an event with 80, you know, attendees. In a few days, we um, run Super Daughter Day, which has thousands of girls rocking up with their parents to learn about technology and that gets sold out through to, I mean, we've been in the UK for less than two years and we just held a um, careers fair for women in tech late last year and had 400 women registered to attend at Google campus. So, you know, you've got to have the right, I guess, content. So we have very engaged Facebook groups where, excuse me, you know, we might have a short list of topics that we think are interesting and then people can vote them on them. So then you're getting that engagement around if you've already invested in coming to an event then you're more likely to attend. Another tip for some people as well, in areas where it's really hard to pull off event because maybe there's a really small, you know, database that you have over there, ask people to almost, you know, pre-commit to say, right, we're thinking of running this event. Would you come along? This is the date. And then at least you know you've got, say, 10 people that are definitely coming. Say, you know, even if half of them drop off, Mm. then you might find another, you know, five somewhere else. Because you really do just need that small, tiny base for your first event. You can't expect hundreds of people to come, you know, immediately. And then, yeah, there's lots and lots of different ways to reach out to people, LinkedIn, Facebook, you know, Mm. newsletters, social media, the usual suspects. And what's the call to action at the end of your events? I guess it depends. Depends. Um, well, there's some standard ones like, you know, inviting them to join the virtual community. So they've got mm-hmm. somewhere to connect. Also, perhaps signing up to our newsletters. Yeah, it could be registering on the website, just depending on their needs, because if they are happily employed, they'll probably follow us for the content that we share and the guides that we develop, because that would help anyone, whether you're job searching or not. Mm. Um, yeah. Awesome. And you mentioned the Facebook group that you have. So I wanted to touch on community building now. So you have a super strong community of a passionate tribe. How did you cut through the noise and provide them value and continue to grow the community? Yeah, that's a great question. And I just also remembered that we started our events on meetup.com and then moved off there. So just another tip, you know, because Mm. that's already an existing platform of people with interest. So you don't have to, you know, start on your own. So with a Facebook group, it was really interesting because initially I actually wanted out to go out and just invite everyone we knew and yeah. bombard it. And then one of my colleagues actually said, look, I think we need to nurture it very slowly and very carefully. Right. So we did that and we invited people that we knew were real passionate advocates for what we were doing. So you can't just post a post in there to avoid you know, people spamming and so on. So we have a few rules. We pre-approve this post. And what I think has been a real driving kind of factor in driving engagement there was people often send us anonymous questions to ask of the other women in the group. And often they would post questions themselves and lots and lots of people would jump in. So I'm talking about things like, how do I tell my boss that I'm pregnant after the last experience, you know, had me fired? Wow. And what happened with that particular post was... It was so amazing. First of all, the women are so supportive. So there was everyone, you know, first of all, offering supportive comments, but then also sharing their experiences. One HR leader who works with us actually came back to me and wrote this really extensive email, almost like a to-do list. This is what you do before. This is what you do during. This is what you do after. I asked for her permission to repost that as a blog so we can help more people. Mm. She agreed. So not only did we go back to this person who was anonymous with this great checklist, we also included that on our website. She shared it on her LinkedIn. So we reached a much larger group of people. And I find that, you know, we're now going through the Facebook group and basically like developing guides and pieces of content because that information is so valuable. Mm. What type of pieces of content do you find perform best for Work 180? 
Um, so we've got a rolling list. So let me see if I can, and it kind of changes, but the themes are very common. So things like coming back to work after a career break, mm. you know, building your confidence as well, because especially in technology, things move so quickly that, you know, you go on holidays and you come back and kind of feel a bit out of place, yeah. even if you've just gone for a few weeks and let alone, you know, having say six months or two years out of the workforce. So that's a popular one. Changing careers, especially later in life. So, you know, using your cross-transferable skills to go into a space that you think you don't have a place in, yet you do because you have all these amazing skills that the right company would value. Negotiating flexible working, building a personal brand, excuse me, interviewing and all the usual kind of job search related questions as well. Building resilience. And what type of format is resonating with your audience? Have you delved into video or is it mainly just written? Videos are really popular for our product updates. So we're using that at the moment for that, you know, kind of content delivery. We write a lot of blogs and they are very well read, Mm. but I would like to do more video content around those tips. You know, sometimes Facebook Live has Mm. worked well as well. So it's done a bit of live streaming. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. And also events. People love connecting with you know, speakers in person and um, mm. actually hearing their stories and then being able to ask questions at the end. Yeah, true. And podcasts, I should say. So it's really impressive what you've done with the community and you've been in the UK for two years, as you mentioned. I wanted to find out more about how you've actually grown the community while your team has been 100% distributed, so you don't have a central office location. How have you managed to build a community and expand into the UK with everyone in different locations? You know, just as you asked me that question, I thought to myself, I think being fully remote has actually helped with that. Right. Because imagine if we were in an office, say, in Melbourne, you Mm. would be so inwardly focused. You'll be doing everything in Melbourne, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah. And the reason I say this, because somebody the other day pointed out that we, we do really well in terms of remote working because everybody's remote. So it's not like, you know, there's always people in the office having a meeting and then there's a few randoms dialing in. Mm. everybody's on Zoom, right. like a Brady Bunch. So I think <laughs> the same applies to building a global community because we think about how can we reach people in each state. You know, in Australia, for example, in the UK, you know, we had somebody on the ground, but also working remotely, organising the events, you know, across London and then looking also sometimes we get asked to go to some of the other further away areas as well. So I'm actually taking a trip in late Feb and then we'll go out and, you know, maybe go to Manchester and so on and and Mm. run events there depending on where people want us to go. So it all comes back to, you know, surveying your members, your community, figuring out, I mean, there's no point trying to pull off an event where you don't really have a community as yet because that'll be hard, you know, concentrate on your areas where you've built that community. And then, as I mentioned earlier, perhaps get a bit of a expression of interest. So Mm. if we were to go to, I don't know, Adelaide is a good example because we actually... Uh, we're planning to do this, we would get our uh, Facebook group members to perhaps work with us on a suitable date that works for the majority of them. And then they can bring their colleagues and their friends, start off small. And then, you know, because you've got to build that trust as well. Because as you said earlier, everyone's running events left, right Mm. and centre. Why should I go to this one? Yeah. Is what you need to think of. Mm. And when you're hiring distributed marketing talent, for example, so I've had many colleagues and I've done some uh, hiring of freelancers myself at the moment, and Matt Mullenweg, the founder of WordPress, he was one of the first to really champion 100% distributed teams. And now there's companies like Basecamp, InVision, Zapier. These guys all have large distributed teams. So Valeria, I was wondering, 
what are some of the ways that we can ensure that we're getting the best person for the job and how do you manage these guys continuously? Um, well, there's a few questions in there. So I mm. guess the first one is um, making sure that they are clearly aware of what the environment is like to work in. So for example, you know, people are sold on the dream initially when they mm. come and interview with you, but I almost try to, this sounds kind of a bit not crazy, but almost like scare the person. So you could say, right. all right, you're sold on the dream. The reality is we're a fast-moving startup. We're very agile. Things might change all the time. How do you feel about that? You know, tell me a time when you've worked in that environment. And the right people will actually look at you and say, I thrive in those conditions. And that's what wow. I love. I love chaos. You know, I thrive in chaos <laughs> because you've got to yeah. admit it. If you're a startup founder, you know you thrive in chaos. Yeah, you know, if you don't, sure. you wouldn't be here. <laughs> So it's kind of, you know, I mean, we've had people that have had similar roles in before that understand it, but then also, you know, you've got to give people a go that perhaps have not worked in that environment before, mm. but they're clearly aware of what they're going to be facing. We also get peer interviews done. So you can have a chat to your peers and ask them the questions that are probably something that you'll be more comfortable asking them rather than say the CEO or the you know, people and culture manager that's interviewing you. So mm. that's really valuable. Does that help? Do you want me to delve down? It does help. And yeah. it's good that you have kept your values from 2016 in doing some research for this podcast. I saw a quote from you in 2016. If you position your company as something it's not, people will find out fairly quickly and leave, possibly taking some of the best talent with them. So I think it's important, as you mentioned, to mm. scare them. and <laughs> <laughs> Probably needs, needs a nice word, I guess, but you know what I mean. It's kind of mm. just painting that realistic picture. and yeah. yeah, because as that quote says, the last thing you want is someone to come in and go, oh, I didn't expect that. So we often ask, well, we ask all the time, really, of all the new starters, have you had any surprises? Is it as what you expected? And most people say the most common comment we get is usually, I feel more connected to my team than I did working in the brick and mortar office, which is mm. really amazing. But, you know, I've been working flexibly and remotely for, geez, over 10 years now. Gemma and I built the company when she was in Brisbane, I was in Melbourne. So to me, it's not even a thing. It's how you get productive. Mm. But we've got to understand that other people coming in might really need, you know, help. And we've got a staff member that wrote a wonderful blog about working remotely. So you've really got to be careful mm. in making sure that they are you know, having all their challenges addressed, like yeah. from anything as simple as setting up a workspace through to managing to switch off as well. So there's a mm. whole, we could have a whole podcast, I think, on remote working, yeah, can't we? no, we could. But I might ask one selfish question for myself, Valeria, on working remotely. So how do you focus when you're working at home? Because I know when I work at home, sometimes it's difficult, a lot of distractions. I have my beautiful golden retriever, Brielle, and uh, my cat, Harper, <laughs> uh, distracting at certain times of the day, what, what are some of the tips that you use to keep focused? <laughs> I was just thinking of my son who now is so well trained that he'll come up to me and he'll say, this sounds so strict, can I talk? Because <laughs> you know, he's gotten a few glares when I'm, you know, mid email and then someone comes over and goes, oh, check this out or whatever. And then yeah. you're just like, would you just leave me alone? But um, I think distractions at home, whether it's animals, children or partners, potentially or friends, is probably, you've got to set your boundaries. That is tough. I mean, I love to work from coffee shops right. and restaurants. So if I need a change of scenery, I will move and go somewhere there. I kind of don't like to be disturbed. So to avoid having my poor son kind of feel like he needs to, you know, come up and get permission to speak, I might just go into, you know, my room kind of thing or into another room where where it's not as tempting to start a conversation. So for I don't have a pet. I've got indoor plants that <laughs> I can go and 
you know, visit as I please. <laughs> so uh, maybe shut yourself away from mm. the dog or, I mean, yeah, it's the same thing as if you're in an office, you know, I make lists, I know what mm. I'm working on, I have meetings set up, but I'm just so used to it as well that practice makes perfect. So you, yeah. you'll know your most productive state. Some people hate working in cafes. I mm. love it because there is no distractions. There is mm. no pets, there's no children, there's background noise, but I love the fact that everyone around me is working. So I feel like I'm in this productive environment mm. because at home you might get writer's block and there's nothing there to change the, you know, to kind of snap you out of it or going for a walk, exercising in the middle of a day. I do Pilates and oh, I structure yeah. my day around that as well. Yeah. So that helps. Yeah. Touching on writer's block and cafes, JK Rowling actually wrote Harry Potter in a cafe. There you go. Isn't it amazing? Because yeah. you think all the, it's funny too, because at home I get annoyed if I can hear my son say playing games on the PlayStation, yet in mm. a cafe it's different, but they do. Mm. I think there's an app that you can play cafe noises, which I don't use. <laughs> I don't, I think that's a bit, yeah, not real enough for me, but um, you just got to figure out when you get in the zone and mm. do it. You know, you might go outside and work near the beach or something like that. And that really, really makes you happy and go for it. But yeah, just test out a few different kind of scenarios and routines and then you, it's mm. different for everyone. Yeah, amazing. So going on to the struggle section of the podcast, Valeria. Mm. So what's one thing that you wish you were more of an expert in in business right now? Well, we actually went through this very late last year and we're still learning. So have you heard of OKRs, Objectives yes. and Key Results? Yeah, yeah. I, have, I was uh, meant to read the book over the Christmas holidays. The I have not Radical yet. Focus. Yeah, It is so cool. Really? So it's like a fable Right. But where they, it's like a story, you will love it because yeah. it's all about like two startup founders and it's the easiest read ever. Right. Myself and our COO educated us through that book and right. then gave it to a staff member as well. So they'll pass it around. But I'm really, really proud of the team because even though you're supposed to, well, not supposed to, but most companies fail with the first round or it takes a really long time, we actually had our most successful month after starting the OKRs and that just wow. really helps pull everybody in the same direction. So for those listeners who are not familiar, it's objectives and key results. It's similar to KPIs, but probably more ambitious mm. and driven in terms of, you know, what's one big, hairy, audacious goal that you want to achieve and how will you measure that you're on your way there and you're successful? How confident are you in, in getting there? And then, you know, we started off with one company objective and we've now um, moved into different focus areas. So each team's have their own OKRs and, you know, you can also have your own personal ones. So for you, your overall objective could be, I want to be most more productive at home than anywhere else. Mm. How will you measure that, you know? And then right. you have your three key results and then you start to think, okay, every week, what priorities do I need to hit in order to progress towards those key results? Mm. And so it's, yeah, it's yeah. really cool. And I want to be better at that because we've just started and it's, yeah, it's not for everyone. It's very daunting, but persevering with it really pays off. I know Google and I think LinkedIn and a yeah. lot of successful companies use that to run their businesses. So yeah, worth no, a try. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. I'll put the link to the book in the show notes and I definitely have to read it very soon. So speaking of books, are there any other books that have helped you in your working life? Have you read The Hard Things About The Hard Things? Yeah, by Ben Horowitz. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So I've reread that. Gemma got it for me for Christmas, I think, three years ago. And at first when I read it, it was so far kind of fetched for me to – it was interesting to read, don't get me wrong. But mm. then when I read it a year later and then again, everything in it made so much more sense and I could relate to it so much more. And if you feel like you, you know, you're having a hard day, just, yeah, have a read of the first couple <laughs> of chapters, right? And yeah. then – 
yeah, what they went through was, yeah, incredible. And mm-hmm. I think it's got a lot of advice there, how to hire senior execs, especially if you're at that stage, how to, you know, go through uh, feedback with your team members as well. So amazing, amazing Bible, really. I keep rereading it over and over again. Yeah, definitely. And he just came out with a new book this no year. Way. About culture as well. Ooh, on yeah. my list. Yes. Thank you. I'll put that in the show notes. And that also reminds me of another quote that came up in my research for this episode that you said a couple of years ago, hire for culture contributions, not culture fit. Can you Can't claim that one myself because I found an article on LinkedIn that said that. Right. So, And then I heard somebody else repeat it and I was like, wow, this mm. is so true because so many people say, you know, can they fit into our company or our culture? And then does that mean that you're trying to hire more of the same? If you mm. just reframe that into what can this person contribute to our culture it becomes a whole different conversation. Yeah. And the way you're, you know, interviewing people as well will change. So I think that's a really, it's people probably already think it, but just that wording as well, I think needs to, especially when you're coaching younger team leaders as well, don't look for culture fit, look for culture contribution is really important. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome advice. So Valeria, I just wanted to thank you again for coming in and sharing all your knowledge in the podcast today. All of Valeria's resources and books can be found at metagy.com forward slash podcast. I have a couple of questions before we wrap up. Firstly, I just wanted to get a couple of stories about employers, maybe one story about an employer and one story about an employee who have used Work 180 and what happened after that. Sure. So one of my favorite examples, because it's very close to my heart about my own experience, is a story with NAB, the bank. And there was a candidate who I um, spoke to because I occasionally just pick up the phone and, and call the people who've applied with our endorsed employers and to talk about the experience. And she said to me, I actually had the confidence to reject an inflexible job offer because of your website. And I said, what do you mean? Tell me more. And she said, well, I had a job offer from a company that you don't work with. And however, they were, and she's in technology as well, by the way, so should easily be done flexibly. Um, Mm. They said, no, you have to come into the office every single day. And she had a newborn, so she was really hoping to work from home one day a week. So she rejected that job offer, went onto our site and actually um, had a job interview with NAB the following day. And funnily enough, because I was thinking, oh no, what if, you know, she goes through to someone that might not be 100% on board and so on with flexibility, I better reach out and get in touch with them. I didn't get to them in time, but I didn't have to worry because she had a great interview. She's employed there. I think she's had a promotion since then in a few months and she's working flexibly. So to me, that was really evident of having that, you know, both the employer who is providing the opportunity for people to come and, you know, discuss flexibility up front at interview stage, which is really what, you know, we want. Not even the promise of every role must be done flexibly, but just their opportunity to talk about it. And that's exactly what she was after. And, you know, that other company is missing out on an amazing, talented employee and NAB's just gained themselves a great, you know, asset essentially. Yeah, amazing. With such a fast-growing company, do you sometimes get distracted by the growth, growth, growth mindset? How have you guys handled that issue? Yeah, all the time, mm. which I think everyone else can relate to in that position. So, you know, it's about really prioritizing, figuring out what you can do in the short term without completely saying no to that idea. You know, it might be a let's do this now and then down the track revisit a bigger kind of plan for that particular initiative or let's just shelve it until then. So you do have to get brutal, otherwise you're just going to, you know, pretty much freeze up and mm. like a deer in headlights really and, and not be able to make a move. Yeah. 
So Valeria, you have made it to the abstract section of the podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> so we have a couple more questions that are a bit more out there. Are you ready to go? Okay. <laughs> so the first question is, if you could have a billboard that all business owners would see, it could have text, visuals, whatever you want on it, where would you put it and what would it say? Well, we actually had a really interesting experience by when we bought our first billboard. Lesson number one, make sure you know where it's placed because it was right. literally in a forest. A forest. <laughs> and there was trees all around it and oh. no one would see it. So placement is important. Even yeah. things like, you know, if it's on the highway for us, it's are people going home or are they going to work? And if we're going to have a message around, you know, are you miserable at your job? Check out Work 180, things like that. It's really important to capture them on the way to where, you know, whether they're going home and they're going to be relaxing or maybe they're going to work and they hate their jobs and most people are looking for new jobs, you know, at work. So it's yeah. position's really important. Yeah. And what would you say on the billboard? <laughs> Can I use one of our previous slogans? So one of them was um, why seek second best or it mm. could be, you know, something around, I'm trying to remember another, The one of the first ones we did was get paid what you're worth. So mm. essentially it's, yeah, touching on that, you know, challenge that often uh, women face of being underpaid. So about evaluating, you know, are you in the right place? Is the employer supporting you? So something along those lines. Yeah. And what's your current slogan? Oh, we have a number of, and again, they were voted in by our Facebook community. So right. it depends on placements. I know we had a really clever one on the trains where it was um, saying next stop, flexible working, equal pay and so oh, on. Nice. So there's a few of those floating around. We had some in the UK as well you know, different catchphrases and so on around flexible working and um, being more choosy about the employer that you're evaluating as an employee mm. as well. So Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Cool. So, Valeria, you've made it to the final question of the podcast. Are you ready for launch? In the... <laughs> where are we launching? <laughs> well, you're launching on the first flight to Mars with Elon Musk and the first settlers aboard the SpaceX Starship rocket. So what business do you start when you land on Mars and how would you market it to the new Martians? This might be cheating, but can I ask you, what mm. is your favourite answer so far? Because then maybe we can Ooh. integrate a product with that. <laughs> <laughs> My favourite answer so far, uh, there's been a lot. Uh, there's been a lot around water, a lot of like around. important. <laughs> yeah, it is important. Uh, translation services. Mm -hmm. There's been a lot around you know, traveling back to earth. So making that return trip or having some kind of product that reminds you of earth, mm -hmm. sentimental value, communicating with earth is another big one. A lot of distilleries as well on Mars. There's going to be a lot of distilleries. Excellent. Okay, well, I won't say those. And um, <laughs> so many things come to mind. And can I say a couple? Yeah, I think no. Well, if I look at personal, you know how they always say that, whatever you experience personally, you're trying to find a solution for. Mm. I got lost on the way here from the station, <laughs> right? So for me, I'll need something like a Google Maps to get around. Right. But I'm sure the Martians will appreciate it as well. Um, everyone, you know, feels challenged there. I mean, anything around integrating the community. So I don't know if there's already a meetup mm. um, kind of platform where if there's translation services in place, then how do we actually get people to mingle with the Martians in terms yeah. of, you know, events or maybe even, because I love playing basketball, maybe even start, I don't know how gravity will work in that case, <laughs> but figure out how do we start a um, sporting 
whatever, and then imagine mm-hmm. marketing. Imagine everyone wearing their you know mm-hmm. Chicago Bulls singlets space, or whatever. It's like a Space Jam. Space Jam. Yeah. There you go. Earth space Jam. Yeah, or maybe together inclusion <laughs> and you know. Yeah, that's right. But this is obviously. You know, if Work 180 isn't already launched over there, so we yeah. will do that first. We'll create a job board mm. where Martians can find a Mars place. Mars 180. Yes. I can, I can see it. There's so many ideas. Yeah. No, there's some fantastic <laughs> original answers. Thank you very much, Valeria. We'll add that to the database <laughs> of new businesses that we're going to start on Mars. So, Valeria, I just wanted to thank you once again for coming in and sharing all your value today. You can find all of Valeria's show notes at metagy.com forward slash podcast. And how can people find out more about Work 180 and how can they get in touch? So wherever you are in the world, you can head to work180.co and then select the platform in your country. That's if you want to you know, engage with us around your job search or perhaps you just like to read the content that we share as well. And you can find me on um, LinkedIn and Twitter as well. Awesome. Once again, thanks for coming in. It's been fun. Thanks for having me. From Medigy, you've just listened to Forward Thinking. Again, I'm Darren, and Medigy hopes we helped you find more insights and tips into your business. To find out more about Medigy and get a listener-exclusive three-month free trial, visit us at medigy.com forward slash podcast. And while you're there, go and check out some more episodes. If you like what you heard, please share a link to another business owner or marketer who you think could get something from this. Also, to help us out, it would be great if you left a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. Last, never miss another episode by following or subscribing to us on your favorite podcast player. See you on the next episode. <laughs>